0: Based on the research from Ken Ham's book, Already Gone, 44% of young adults walk away from Christianity because they say the Bible is not true, it's not accurate, or it's got contradictions, it's contradicting itself. Could it be that they are leaving for the wrong reason? Does the Bible contradict itself? Well, that's what we're gonna tackle this week on the Creation Today show as we hit part two of Bible contradictions. Okay, for example, this one, 2 Samuel 24, verse number one. 66 books written over 1,500 years by 40 different people. I step back and I go, the fact that there's so much agreement is
1: pretty incredible. Prophecy hundreds of years in advance being fulfilled to the letter. And there are so many examples of those, not just within the pages of scripture, but also things that we can find fulfillment that have happened outside of scripture.
0: Welcome to The Creation Today Show where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching. Your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation, and why it matters to you. Last week, we looked at several different Bible contradictions or supposed Bible contradictions and helped us understand some of the clarity of how do we reconcile these things? What are some of the things that are actually going on there? Uh, and, and this week, I, 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 I'm i really excited because I want to hit some more of these supposed Bible contradictions. You can look online and find lists of 100, 200, 400 supposed Bible contradictions. And somebody who's like not familiar with the Word of God might read that and really wonder, Wow, is the Bible this bad? Does it contradict itself this much? So let's hit those today. If you're new to the Creation Today show, we are on a mission to disciple the world one person at a time. We just want to take the stumbling blocks that keep people from seeing Jesus Christ as the Redeemer and the creator of mankind into stepping stones on our journey to know the truth. For my Facebook, YouTube, and podcast and television audience, thank you guys for peeking into our community. If you ever want to be part of what we are doing, come on over to creationtoday.org. We'd love to have you on the team. My guest today is, again, Dr. Tim Chavey, author of several books, uh, lots of stuff on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen, shrouded in mystery, risen without a doubt. Uh, He's got, uh, well, he's written a lot, okay? I don't know how he gets as much done as he gets done. One of my favorites is his book, fallen uh dealing with genesis chapter six one through four uh but the sons of god and the nephilim what a what a fantastic read the most comprehensive book i've ever found on the subject you'll find him uh, reeling with bible knowledge uh, it's really really fun having him on the show so dr Chavy, welcome man thanks for being with me today
1: thanks eric it's good to be with you as always
0: well, I appreciate you taking time with us last week to, to go through some of these supposed Bible contradictions. Um, we're talking about, you know, a Bible, we're talking about a collection of books that is 66 books written over 1,500 years by 40 different people. And I, I, I step back, I don't know what you think about this, I step back and I go, the fact that there's so much agreement is pretty incredible, let alone any potential contradictions. What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it, just those stats alone do not prove that it's the word of God, but it makes it unique among any other book in the world. And the fact that you do have one consistent storyline, one consistent message all the way throughout from beginning to end. Um, and again, no contradiction, as we would argue for. Um, it It's exactly what it claims to be. It claims to be a collection of books uh, that were uh, that were written by people whose writing was inspired by the word of God, by, by, I'm sorry, by the Holy spirit. And, uh, so it has things that no other book has like this, uh, that accurate, uh, prophecy hundreds of years in advance being fulfilled to the letter. And there are so many examples of those, not just within the pages of scripture, but also things that we can find fulfillment that have happened outside of scripture. Um, so it shows us that it has a supernatural origin and, uh, so what happens as a result you have skeptics who want to try to poke holes in that they think if they can find one or two or a hundred so-called contradictions well then it can't be God's word it can't be accurate because they they don't want it to be and so as we talked about in the first episode they don't give it the benefit of the doubt they will pull things out of context and put it in the worst possible light rather than what they would do with anything else or like they would try to make their own case for the, something they have written they would defend it and they would Show how things can be explained reasonably, um, and but they don't do that with the Bible. They try to twist its wording and make it sound as bad as possible.
0: You know, it's interesting. I I remember reading a book, and I I'm good. I, it's called Intellectuals, and I don't remember the guy's name. Paul, Peter, anyway, the guy who wrote it. He said it's interesting when he studied intellectuals. He realized they were not choosing a a worldview, finding truth, and then living their life they were choosing a lifestyle and then finding a worldview to adapt which one fits what I want to do. And I I, honestly, I find a lot of atheists, like we said this in the last show, there are people who do not want an answer. If you're ready to give an answer, they don't want it. And and here's another thing is before we hit it get into these contradictions, um, suppose you had, suppose you had 50 contradictions that you thought, well, there's 50 of them and you came to me with a list of 50 or went to 10 with a list of 50. And I said, well, if I answered half of them, would that get rid of half of your doubt? Would you be fifty percent more likely to believe the Bible if we got rid of half of your supposed contradictions or objections to the Bible? And I find a lot of skeptics would say, "No, I don't want to believe it." So we're really not dealing with an intellectual issue here, and I want to make this clear up front: we're dealing with a heart issue, uh, and and. Tim, how, how do you think the word faith comes in here? Because I think oftentimes Christians misuse the word faith. We think of it as something blind. We have no evidence for. But there is a, there's a reality of faith that comes in here. Of there is, I guess, like I said at the beginning, there's plenty in here that did happen that we can trust that we do know that is verified. Should these contra- supposed contradictions should those weaken our faith? Any thoughts on that before we hit these?
1: No, I don't think they should weaken our faith at all. If we Know that Christ died and rose again; then our faith is secure and it's true. So our hope is secure and our our salvation is secure. So there really should be nothing that can shake us, um, or should shake our faith at all. The, um, yeah, I think you're right about it being a hard issue. Well. Let's define faith the way the Bible does, because the skeptic often says, oh, faith is believing something for which you have no evidence. No, that's not what the Bible says. Faith faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. The Bible actually uses the word evidence as part of the definition of faith. And they say it's believing in something for which you have no evidence. No, it's actually believing in something that is well-reasoned, something that you have many reasons to believe. And um, if you look at in Hebrews 11, a classic example of that is uh, Abraham. So here's the man who is is very faithful most of the time. He did mess up. But um, God tells him, Isaac is going to be the son through whom the whole world is going to be blessed. Through um, that your seed going to pass. But this promise is going to pass. Isaac's the son of promise. And then when Isaac grows up a little bit and he's in his teenage years, God says, take Isaac and take him to this mountain that I'm going to show you and sacrifice him that's genesis 22 and it's like whoa why does abraham go well, obviously because isaac was a teenager and we all understand that And no, i'm just kidding <laughs> 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 a lot of us who's raised a teenage son they're like yep i get it we're going
0: <laughs> Yep, go take him go
1: go <laughs> <laughs> i'll do it <laughs> um no it's it tells us in hebrews 11 abraham reasoned that God would have to bring Isaac back from the dead. So if Abraham did it, because God already said it's gonna be through Isaac and Isaac hasn't had kids yet. Therefore, if I kill Isaac, god it's on God, he's gotta do it. And he's gotta bring Isaac back from the dead. And so that's why he was willing to do it. So he trusted in God's promise. That's what this faith is. That god, he had seen God be faithful time and time again. Abraham, I'm gonna give you this land. If you follow me, I'm gonna give you this. And I'm gonna give you a son. Even in your old age, I'll give you a son. And he's Really, can that really happen? And Sarah laughs, and she said, "No, I didn't laugh." And all that kind of stuff. And God was faithful, and they had reasons to trust Him. And then when He says, "Sacrifice your son," He's like, "Okay, but now it's on you. If I do this," Um, so that's really what faith is: is trusting in the One who has proven Himself to be trustworthy time and time and time again. It's not a blind leap in the dark. So I think you're exactly right right about the heart issue. We see this not just with the atheist and the, the skeptic, with so-called contradictions you see it with a lot of the younger um younger kids growing up in church that are maybe even being caught up in like the lgbtq plus worldview kind of stuff that they'll they'll gravitate towards authors who are promoting that oh you can be a christian and hold these things because those they try to find well it's like the bible describes paul talks about to timothy that they'll find they have itching ears and they find people who will say what they want to say and it it shouldn't be about that it should be what did the author intend to write? What did they? What is the meaning of those words? Not how can I twist it to fit what I want?
0: Well, even with that, let's find out. Did the authors mess up? Are there mistakes in the Bible? Are there are there authors that contradict? Does the Bible actually contradict itself? I got one for you. I'm going to try to look up each one of these verses and actually read it so that our our viewers can can hear it out, and then let's let's. Uh, let's see if i can stump you all right let's see if there's a contradiction that you you don't know about here okay for example this one second samuel chapter 24 verse number one again the anger of the lord was aroused against israel and he moved david against them to say go number israel and judah now compare that to first chronicles 21 1. here's what it says now satan stood up against israel and moved David to number Israel. It looks like we got a contradiction. One, it says the Lord, God is the one who told him, uh, stirred him up. And then the other says it was actually Satan. So is this a clear violation of the laws of logic here? Is this a clear contradiction?
1: Not at all. Uh, Now, there are some Christians who would Try to argue that, well, God is using Satan here because Satan is even Satan cannot go beyond what God allows, which is true. He cannot go beyond what God allows. We see that in Job. Um, But that's not what's happening here. So the Hebrew where it says Satan in in English, it's um, Satan in Hebrew. It does not have the definite article. So it's not the Satan, the Satan, so to speak. It's a Satan. The word just means adversary. So it's an adversary stirred up David. In other words, like there was this in other army out nearby or an enemy nearby. And David's like, oh, do we have enough people to beat him? Let's go find out. And so Job, go to the census. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. You're not supposed to just trust God. It's going to win it for you. But he he does and he gets punished for it. But um, so it's not even talking about the Satan. The It's talking about an adversary. So that, that has to do with, um, in a sense, this comes about because of a not a great job of translating it. There are certain Bibles. The Net Bible actually says an adversary opposed Israel and has a, a note explaining some of the things I just talked about. So that, that comes out of translation. Anybody looking at the Hebrew there would know that that's not at all what is being said.
0: So still though, somebody who doesn't know any better, they they read somebody's list of supposed Bible contradictions and they're going, aha, I read it in my English Bible, and sure enough, there's a contradiction. So it's almost like I mean, there's a level of knowledge you need to have to understand some of these things. Would you put it that way?
1: Well, yeah. So one of the things I'd recommend is there are a lot of books that have been written on these topics to address these. So what happens is so many times a skeptic acts as this, aha, we found this thing. Nobody's ever told you this before. Look at this conspiracy. And it's like, there are dozens and dozens of books for centuries that have been written to address these so-called contradictions. And so it's not as if the church has never dealt with this before or never addressed it. You've had Christians for for centuries doing it. So this isn't, it's not shocking. It's, um, but the way it's always presented is always like, Oh, these Christians are so naive. They're so dumb. They don't know. And it's true in many ways, In, in a lot of cases, Christians are naive. We don't like most People probably had not heard the explanation I just gave on that one. But the scholars have known that one and have talked about it for years, and they're familiar with it, and they've written about it. So the answer has been there all along. It's just that we a lot of times don't dig deep enough for it.
0: And that is one of the problems with what became the Internet age, information age, Internet age, and now social media age. All of a sudden, somebody can do one little bitty clip on that and show two verses and try to use that that one little bit argument to dismiss the entire bible and say the bible contradicts itself and then they're kind of done with it and they're the ones not digging deep to actually understand what is it timothy awana's right approve workmen need not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth let's divide the word of truth correctly let's actually study what god's word says so that it helps us. So we really seek to understand. That's our goal is to understand God's revelation to mankind.
1: Um, well, we should, we should want to do that in, in any area. You want to be fair to people. So even dealing, if you're, Eric has a, if you're dealing with a skeptic, you don't want to pull his or her words out of context and say, oh, you're just so naive because you contradict yourself. Here. So, no, be fair and, and actually deal in truth rather than just these platitudes or in sound bites and everything but for many of the people who are making these videos they want clicks they they as part of their own worldview you know especially if there's somebody who's uh, an atheist or something maybe it's not wrong to lie because they get to decide truth for themselves and so it's okay for them to misrepresent the truth and so we see a lot of people arguing that way today. And sadly, I think sometimes even in the church, we see people argue like that because to them, it's more about winning than it is just to be honest and truthful. And we're people who are following the one who called himself the way, the truth and the life. And so we need to be invested in telling the truth no matter what.
0: Well, the Bible does say only by pride comes contention. So, uh, certainly there's an element of pride in each one of those examples that you gave. Whether it was inside the church or outside, looking for clicks, looking for money, all that literally comes down to to, to pride. Okay, I got a I got a good one for you here. You're, you've never heard this one before. It's going to be brand new for you. Okay, you're going to have to deal with this one. Tim Chapie is going to have to deal with this. And all right, okay, Tim, Genesis chapter six and Genesis chapter seven. Contradict. How many pairs of clean animals did, Noah, did God tell Noah to take onto the ark? I'm going to read the passages so you don't think I'm lying to you, even okay. though you probably have these memorized. Genesis 6, 19 and 20 say this, And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kinds, of animals after their kinds, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you and keep them alive. And then when we get to Genesis chapter seven, verse number two, it says this. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, male and female, Also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. So, Tim, got a contradiction here. Uh, Is it how many of each pair of clean animal? Originally he just said take two of all the animals, and now he's saying take seven of the clean. Or maybe you got to add the two together. Maybe he told two and he got those on, and then maybe it's nine all together. Anyway, what are your thoughts on this one?
1: I, you know what, I think I I've, I've just probably am going to give up my Christianity because I have no idea what to do None. here. It's obviously contradictory. I mean, like this, the author obviously could not understand that within two verses of himself, the very end of chapter six and the very beginning of seven, he just contradicts himself. No, I mean, that's how silly it is. Give the, the author a tiny shred of the benefit of the doubt that he that he might be doing something because Hebrew narrative often works that way where you'll get this little bit of an introductory statement and then you get clarification or you get uh, more detail as you go along. And in this case, yeah, you're, Noah's going to bring two of every kind, but he's going to bring more than two of some of the kinds, the clean ones and the flying creatures. And so that's what Genesis 7 tells us. Remember the chapter marks, our chapter headings are not there in the original. It just flows one right into the other. And so God tells Noah, you're going to bring two of every kind. He doesn't say of the clean animals. there; It's just of every kind of the land animals. And then just within just a few words, you know, a couple sentences, you have, you're going to bring seven or seven pairs, actually, if the Hebrew reads uh, seven, seven, a male and his female. And so a lot of Bibles will have a little asterisk there that say the ones that say seven a lot will have a little asterisk saying or seven pairs. And then a lot of other Bibles just say seven pairs. Um, so there's debate about whether that's seven or 14. Um, but yeah, there's no contradiction. You just have an initial statement that's more of a general thing. And then you have the clarification that you're going to bring more than that when it comes to the clean animals and the flying creatures so yeah it's no contradiction just like you would uh, people could tell uh, they could talk about so many things in that way and if you're just telling the details within one minute of each other nobody's going to jump down your throat and say oh you just contradicted yourself no you're offering clarification that's all it is so
0: i went to the store and i bought two apples and two oranges and uh Man, I had a great time while I was there, and I also got seven pears. <gasps> you did not. You said you only got two apples and two oranges. It's like, well, hold it, I'm not done. <laughs> like, like, stop. Don't, don't interrupt me halfway. Cut it out. Yeah. Oh. Okay, um, and, and this is, guys, this is important as, as we go through these. This, this, it's little things like this that people are using, that Satan is using to try to destroy people's faith in the word of God. It's little, slight things. There's nothing. I mean, so last week we talked about probably one of the biggest, did we talk about one of the biggest, like, well, First Samuel being the, the least attested to uh, book of the Bible. But, um, man, they, these, are, these are small, easy to understand things when we really look at it. Okay, got another one for you here, Tim. Uh, did Joshua and the Israelites capture Jerusalem? Yes or no? I'm going to read two passages of Scripture to you. And then you got to clarify what's going on here. Ready? Joshua 10, 23 and verse 40. Joshua 10, 23 and 40. And they did so and brought out those five kings to them from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jermoth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country, and the south and the lowland, and the wilderness slopes, and all their kings, he left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. Then we go over to Joshua chapter 15, verse 63, and what does it say? As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah, could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Judah, At Jerusalem to this day. So did Joshua and the Israelites actually capture Jerusalem or not? It seems like they did in one passage and here it's like well they couldn't get them so you know they decided to live with them.
1: Well in the first two passages you read it never said that they conquered Jerusalem. It says that the king of Jerusalem was defeated. They they ride out to battle to fight against him. They're not at the city of Jerusalem um, which I've been to a couple of times in Mandalay, <laughs> <laughs> and i are going back
0: to. And is I'm going great.
1: back, so excited! Yeah, uh, love going there. I, I don't think I'll ever get enough of it. But um, yeah, so it never says in the first part that they conquered the city of Jerusalem. They conquered the king because they had come out to uh, fight against them. So they weren't there at the city. Um, later on, it talked about in, in Judges um, that they so. Joshua then fights against it again. You read it in, in uh, Joshua, what, 1569 it was? Yep. 1563, yep. 1663, yeah. Um, so that one, it says that the they weren't able to, and they dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. So the Jebusites, the people who were there before, are still there. And then even in Judges chapter 1, uh, it talks about how the Children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it, and they struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. So they were still battling over Jerusalem, you know, after after Joshua's time. And even later on, it wasn't until David's time that they actually finally took it. So there was a stronghold that was there, but the city itself, which was not a big city at all. You know, Eric, if you've been there, uh, you have been there, but it's not even— The the part that's being talked about is not even within the city walls, the old city walls of Jerusalem today. It's this little tiny ridge on the southeast side of the the city. Uh, So it's not a very big area at all. Uh, But it's very difficult to get to because it's very hilly, very steep. And they had walls that you'd have to to get over, which is very difficult to do. And so the way that David's men were able to do it, to go up through one of those uh, shafts one of the, for the water, and they were able to get into the city and defeat it that way. So yeah, there's no contradiction there. It never says they conquered the city here. It just says that the king was defeated when he went out to battle.
0: So, again, just simply a misunderstanding or misreading or assuming something in the first one, Joshua 10, and then using that, oh, well, it seems like he co- he conquered Jerusalem, conquered all the land, because uh, it did say, I should go back there, it did say he conquered the, the north and the south and things like that, but it's, he conquered these kings, oh, it was listing out the kings, that's what it was. Yeah, like, listing out yeah the and kings. Can have,
1: you'll have statements later on that clarify things, you know, when he talks about the... Um, some of the inhabitants, he was able to drive out the Anakim everywhere, except for in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. So they, they didn't take them from there. They didn't. So there were certain places where they were not successful in doing it. And then you'll have clarification later on that certain other tribes weren't able to drive out some of the inhabitants there. Um, so, yeah, you just have to read through all of that carefully and understand that sometimes these statements are not absolute in, in the sense of overarching every single area of the promised land it's dealing with one section for that one tribe or that region that they're in at that time
0: i got one more for you here i I got several we could go through but let me let me try to get one more in here real quick for our social media crowd um this is a big one because it kind of gets right down to the life of jesus christ and that's who is the father of joseph husband of mary and we find these two passages matthew chapter 1 verse 16 And Luke chapter 3, verse number 23, here's what they say. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. But you go over to Luke chapter 3, verse 23, and it says this. Now Jesus himself began his ministry about 30 years of age, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. So who is Joseph's father? Is it Heli or is it Jacob?
1: Tim, uh, we got a contradiction here. Yeah, which version did you read that out of?
0: This is New King James.
1: You, yeah, you missed some words. Um, at about oh, 30 you know, years of age, I, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. So um, so that, that's, that's important for a reason. It, it tells us right there that it was as was supposed the son of Joseph. Um, so two possible ways to answer this are two plausible ways that I've come across. One, and this is the easiest one to follow. um, Matthew is giving us Joseph's genealogy, Luke giving us Mary's genealogy. So that's why it says Jesus as a supposed being the son of Joseph, because he's not really uh, biologically, he doesn't have a biological father. So it's a hint. Maybe that's a nod that this is going to be about Mary's lineage. Um, Luke focuses more on Mary. That's where you get The entire account about the angel coming and talking to her and telling her, you know, all those things you get her what's called the Magnificat, you know, in Luke chapter one about her visit to go see Elizabeth. So Luke emphasizes Mary a lot more. So that's that's consistent. That makes sense. Um, Whereas Matthew focuses on Joseph and his reaction to getting the news that she was pregnant and the angel coming and tell tell Joseph. Uh, So that would make good sense that Matthew is giving us Joseph's lineage, Luke giving us. Mary's lineage, there's another possibility, and it gets really really confusing, um, and that is that they are both Joseph's, um, but in Luke, Joseph's father had, and I don't remember if I'm going to get the order right, but people can look this up, and it's pretty confusing, that his father, Joseph's father, would have died at, while Joseph was still young, and then his mom remarries, um, and therefore he has a legal father and a biological father that are different. And then above that, one level above that starts his grandfather, and, and maybe I'm getting this order wrong, um, was part of what was called a leveret marriage. So remember, like in uh, in the Bible for the Jews, if a woman marries a man and he, he dies without her having a child, the brother is supposed to take her as wife and the first child would then actually belong to his older brother who'd passed away. And so you have to have one of those happen in this, in Joseph's line, either the grandfather or the father. I don't remember which one of it was. And then the other one, you have to have the dad die at a young age after the kid's already born. And so it's confusing, but it does work. And, <laughs> And that's why you would get these two different lineages going back to David from Joseph. So either I have way, heard the simple a, one. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, either way, it's not a contradiction because both of those are, are plausible situations and scenarios. So they haven't shown a contradiction at all. Because it's you can work it out
0: one of two different ways to show that, no, it's, it's, it's both.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, especially because the wording right in there does say as was supposed. That's not just something that's in English. That is, that's part of the Greek as well. That Luke puts that in there. That yeah, he wasn't really Joseph's son. Um, so that might be a nod to this is Mary's line. But even if it's not, there's another way to work that out.
0: That's interesting. I did. I hadn't heard that second one. That's pretty cool. All right. How about this one? Uh, Jesus uh, descended from which son of David, Nathan or Solomon? And that you get from, Matt again, the Matthew-Luke thing, Matthew 1.6 and Luke 3.31. Check this out. Uh, Matthew 1.6 says this, And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. So the lineage following through Solomon. And then we go over to Luke chapter 3 and verse number 31, and it says this, The son of Malia, the son of Manon, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. So who did uh, Jesus come from? Was it Solomon or was it from Nathan? Is this a contradiction in the Bible?
1: No, it's not a contradiction, but the answer is yes, he came from both of them. It's, <laughs> so It goes right back to the one we were just talking about, that uh, people can have two lineages. I mean, you've got grandparents that are not necessarily closely related, but as you go further back, they do connect back to David. So that's not a that's not a problem at all. And it is we've so talked, yeah, we've already I talked about the saying, two different lines and how you get that from Matthew and Luke, so.
0: It's interesting that when you look for clarity, you can find it, but sometimes it does take some digging. And I gotta be honest, this is a challenge to me to go, man, I don't even know that I would have seen some of these that I've seen lists of. I'm like, wow, how did they find that? But you got people who have studied the Bible literally for years, and and have already seen these kind of things and come up with good uh, responses to them or good understanding of what was actually happening. So,
1: yeah. Oh, so, man. for example, the, the one that was confusing that I was kind of going through a little while ago, and we've talked about how this been how Christians have responded to this for ages. You know who who wrote about that first, as far as we know, Eusebius, yeah. back in the three hundreds. Wow. So that explanation for Luke's genealogy being different from Matthew, that goes back to be at least the 300. So for 1,700 years or more, Christians have answered this question. So it's not like we've never heard of this before and that no Christian scholars ever tried to address it. No, they have for a long time.
0: And yet here it is on a list on the Internet saying, ha ha, I found a contradiction in the Bible. Oh, my right. goodness. Ah. Hey, YouTube, social media, uh, and podcast and television audience, i got to let you go. But thank you guys for hanging out with us for the first half of this conversation. I want to go through some more of these, and I want to actually point out some of the problems with some of the contradictions in other worldviews here in just a second that I think are real problems. But uh, we're going to move on with that. You guys, if you want to check out the rest of this conversation, come on over to creationtoday.org and feel free to join us over there. Hope you guys have a blessed week. We'll see you next week right here live at 12 noon. Thank you for joining us for this engaging conversation. To view this and many more conversations in their entirety, we invite you to partner with us at creationtoday.org/partner.